0: I just want to preface this by saying that foxes are not dangerous to humans, and as far as I can tell, they never were. It's Robert Caro's biographies of Lyndon B. Johnson this week on Why Do You Know That?
1: Welcome to Why Do You Know That, the party podcast that wants to know why you know so much about a very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osmond.
0: I'm Steve Slaga.
1: Hi, Steve. Hi, Nadia. Ugh. We are getting into the end of the year. <laughs> By the time this comes out, it will will all the end of the year lists will have started to propagate the internet. Uh, and it dawned on me the other day that normally these are things that I look forward to, but 2020 in particular has been uh, quite a show, uh, putting it mildly. Is there anything, Steve, though, that you feel like? Yeah. Yeah, this year was shit, but that was pretty good. Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Okay. All right. I, know, I didn't get around to seeing it in theaters, but i HBO I'm sure-
0: Max, if you have yeah. it. Otherwise, you know, rent it or something. I watched it. Um, I didn't see it in theaters or anything. Um, and I watched it on HBO Max and I thought it was, it's, It wasn't just like all the Avengers have to get together to stop the most powerful being in the world from destroying all the worlds for the third time. Like it was grounded. It was funny. There were a lot of really good action sequences and it was very colorful. It was everything I want an action movie to be, which is loud, colorful and dumb which I right. think is what a comic book movie should be. It's everything Suicide Squad should have been. Um, what a weird thing to just have at the top of my head. I feel like I should have, like, said a book or something. I feel like. No, I, should have said, like, I love
1: it. I love it. I'm just surprised because I didn't think you would say a comic book movie. I, thought I usually it. wouldn't. Uh, Kylie Minogue's album just came out a few weeks ago. It's great. There's been a return to 90s dance music that I'm a very big fan of.
0: Yeah, I'm here for that. I don't trust music that was released after I graduated high school. So (laughs) I believe you. If it wasn't playing on rotation at the Best Buy I worked at my senior year, it's not music. If it's not Pink by Aerosmith. It really is amazing though. You think about a band like Aerosmith, follow me on this one. You think about a band like Aerosmith and how they've, you know for decades now and just continued to make albums for so many years and mm-hmm. continue to continue upon that journey of their craft, kind of like writing a series of novels about... and Not necessarily
1: a- novels, but a biography about yes, one, yes. I- one individual, uh, a man you might all know as uh, one of America's... I wouldn't say controversial presidents, but a president with quite a legacy, Lyndon B. Johnson. Almost like your Robert Caro writing this series of be-do, books. About. Be-do, be-do. The seg alerts going off. Oh my oh, gosh. My, oh, how did that happen? <laughs> um, let's bring in our amazing guest. You know her from the podcast Off Book. Please welcome Jess McKenna. Hello. Hello. Wow. Hello. Jess, how are you doing? Are you? Are there any books that you've been reading <laughs>
2: this whole time? Whoa! Um, I have read some books this during this quar. I also am a big audiobook person, um, so I usually have like an audiobook going at the same time. Sometimes I just read Dune for the first time, and not the Robert Carroll book we're going to discuss. But I did listen to his first seminal work, The Power Broker, which is very long and uh, was maybe like two months of audiobooking to get through it. And that's like a and, and I listened to it on like one point five and uh, just like walk around listening to it. So because I think it was it's many, many, many hours. You have to like download it in 10 different parts. Uh, they're long. These uh, these books are long.
1: Oh, my God. That's the one about uh, urban planner Robert Moses. That's right. Yeah. Robert Caro, uh, he has published four volumes so far of a biography called The Years of Lyndon Johnson. He's also published The Power Broker, which we mentioned earlier, which is a biography about Robert Moses. Uh, Jess, why do you know that? Uh, So
2: I a friend of mine was like, these books are incredible. And then he was going to this event where Robert Caro was the dream interview of Conan O'Brien. He's now since had him on his podcast, but they did like a live event and I almost started reading them to try to like go to this Q and a, but uh, they're massive and I could not get through them long enough, uh, quick enough. But yeah, I spent all of last year working through these and they were incredible. Uh, I loved them. They're my favorite history. I've, like my favorite sort of zoom in on a specific topic of history I've ever read. Uh, I think that Robert Caro is the most talented historical writer I've ever read. He like really makes it seem uh, like, I don't know his detail, his depth is incredible. Um, he's like setting this guy up as a character kind of like you really, really follow like the ups and downs and you feel like you can really get in his head. And you just can't beat the detail. I mean, he was like, yeah, I'm going to write a trilogy on this one man. JK, it's five books. It's decade, it's taking him decades. His wife does all of the main research with him. It's just like the two of them spending their lives. They moved to Texas to like further research and be closer to it. And he spent his life writing these books. R.R. Martin because he's 85 and we do not even have the book about LBJ's presidency yet. The fourth book ends in 1964. So you get one year of of him being president after the JFK assassination. But I don't know. There's no book about his presidency yet. Like It's crazy that I've spent hours and hours and hours listening to these books. And we're not even in the thing that makes him famous yet. That's that answer to that question kind of wild. It's
1: yes, absolutely. Uh I mean he is there's a term kerroesque which is used for writing that anything that is exhaustively detailed um yes. because of this guy's known commodity of writing so 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 much detail. I don't know that I realized that uh I knew that we were waiting on the fifth book I thought for whatever reason, the passage of power, but then I realized it goes to 64. And in my head, it was like to 68. So I'm like, okay, well, we're starting to get there. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, just right. We don't know anything about the guy actually in the White House yet. Nope.
2: And most people think he did a really good job in that one year. And then obviously his actual presidency has a lot of uh pros and cons it's like, you know, way like you were alluding to That's those are the years that are way more controversial versus like most people agree that he handled the trauma of the, and the like pain of the country and, and showing like strong leadership after JFK died. Most people are like, that's one of his shining moments really is like that year he was a very steady hand. He like dealt with the loss of the country really well. He was like pretty great in that year. And then his presidency, we out, we have like some great successes, and then we have like massive, massive terrible things that he did. So I'm like, that's super juicy. I he spent one of the book two is like his eight years as a congressman who did nothing, and it was still like incredibly interesting. Uh, the like to to speak to Caro-esque for a second, the quip that I like the like the way that I like explain what it's like to read these books is he opens the first book um uh path to power right yeah that's the first one yes the
1: path yeah. to pa- so the so in order they go the path to power means of ascent
2: master of the senate the passage, passage of, of yeah. power yeah so m- means of ascent is probably the most boring one but it's still very very good so path to power is like him growing up into kind of winning his first uh, his first federal, his first like congressman job, his first big election. So, um, and he opens it with uh, like an introduction where he tells like a little story of LBJ was on vacation like in Virginia with two like big businessmen in Texas. He was like 28 at the time, uh, he's from nothing and was really, really good at making older men kind of take him under his wing. That was, like, a really great skill that LBG, LBJ had. And especially for if men who didn't have sons. Like, there are, there are like, tons of men who would describe LBJ as the son they never had. He was, like, very good at fulfilling that role and, like, using it to serve him. And he's, like, sitting with these two older men in Texas who, who like, see promise in him. And he's already a congressman or he's already like working in government and but he's poor and they're like well you're at the level where you need to have an additional job why don't we help get you set up Uh, so-and-so will like get you set up in the oil business and you can start and we'll, we'll sell you you know they're giving him basically like a great opportunity to come in so he can make money and he tells them no they'll never vote for an oil man and Robert Caro's like what we know from the story, first of all, like how he knows the specifics of this situation and like can write it in a way where he's like the sun on their faces as they lounged by the pool that had recently been opened. The paint was freshly like, you know, like he he'll tell you all of those details. And then Caro's point is what we learned from this interaction is that he was already thinking about being president because in Texas, like if he was only thinking about Texas politics having oil in your background wouldn't matter because like that oil's from there. Like Democrats, Republicans don't care if your money comes from oil. Like that's part of the big industry there. So Robert Carroll like sets this up. We were meeting LBJ as a 28 year old, already having dreams of the White House by this anecdote. So that's the little introduction to the book. And he and he's like and we're and here I'm set out to explain like how that man made his way to the White House. Then first chapter the soil of the hill country of Texas was on its face good for planting and cattle. But after the heavy rain seasons, they quickly learned that the sandstone, like he literally then talks about the soil of where he's from. And you might be like, well, that's whack but it matters like it ends up mattering and it's so fascinating how he can like lay the groundwork ba-da-ba. um how like <laughs> how that ends up really paying off you know uh about what that meant for over farming and over grazing in this territory where it had a lot of promise when settlers first moved there but they didn't realize that that they were over they were overgrazing and they were they were like overplanting this soil that doesn't have deep roots because of this limestone underneath this limestone and sandstone mix underneath and so it leads to like the Johnson family had a lot of money and then they lost it and they lost it while LBJ was a little boy. And so they talk about like what that chip on his shoulder did where he used to be like a prominent family. And then they were like dirt poor and everyone looked down on them and his dad was this idealist. And so he never wanted to be an idealist because like his dad died in poverty and, and what that did to his personality and his drive for power and money. So you're like, I mean, yeah, tell me about the soil. Cause it ended up really mattering. And yes. So I love that, and that's like the, a quick window into how he writes that way and makes you care about it and makes, makes those connections um, that I find really satisfying. as like trying to understand history, the point is we can't, right? Like history's written by the victors. We, we only focus on like wars. We don't like talk about the little things that make human decision and and all those. And so I really love that. I love like drilling down and being like, you know what? The soil might be responsible for the great society. You know, like, OK, tell me about it, Carol. Walk me through it and spend five <laughs> books doing it. Uh, two things come to mind. One is that I know you mentioned
1: Conan earlier, but Conan O'Brien once described uh, Caro's biographies as Harry Potter for adults. Uh, And you speaking about opening with that soil thing kind of reminds me of the Harry Potter series where it's just like, there's all these details that come up. And I know in the first book, it's just a lot of like setting groundwork, but there's a lot of stuff that ends up doing setup and payoff later. And I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, I'm heartbroken that J.K. Rowling is such a fucking bigot. But regardless, uh, amazing series that like, does that do you feel like he does that as well do you feel like care do you feel like that's an apt description where caro is kind of as you said like the soil is going to potentially lead to this other stuff do you feel like that just happens throughout with all four books so far
2: yeah definitely even like within the book that they are and then also like the series as a whole i think he's stronger at that within the book that you're talking about because there's so much time in between them so i'm not necessarily like uh, seeing the payoff as much from book one to four but like from page 100 page 700 i'm like yep I did need to know all of that and it does end up because he's trying he ends up uh, painting such a three-dimensional picture of this man you know the bad things and the good things and i i would say he does not think lbj was a very good man but like I I think there's uh, an attempt at objectivity or at least like let me give you the scope of it and let me give you not excuses for his bad traits, but let me give you explanation. Let me like lay out why he might have been this way. Um, but yeah, I mean, he'll call, but he'll also call stuff back. Like remember when he was like called bull in college because he was so full of shit. Uh, like that, and he'll like make that joke in Master of the Senate and you're like, yep, yeah, like... Ever since he was like 20, he's been like trying to get in with adults and like lying to his peers, like completely unpopular amongst people his own age, but always angling upward, which is why it's sort of interesting that I think he became, I think most people would agree he was most effective as a senator and he sort of invented what we now know as the Senate majority leader. Like he really created that as a power position and not just a title. Right, um, and so master of the Senate is really fascinating because, uh, man, master of the Senate might be the best because of like understanding just how good he was at being a senator, and good in the in the like sense of uh, effective, not necessarily like honest or upstanding, but it it becomes really good to understand and and see up close well especially as like um when he was like a congressman he was uh, very briefly very effective and then he got kind of bored and sat around for like seven years and did nothing and then decided to care again but when he first cared he like literally brought electricity to parts of texas that didn't have it and he did it through sometimes a lot of like backhand like back room door sh- closed handshake kind of deals also no one knew what his ideals were he could like pretend to be more liberal around about around liberal Democrats and then like still court kind of like centrist business people and be like, actually, I'm like pretty conservative. He would like fight for minorities, but then use racist language. Like he was really all over the map and maybe we'll never know how he actually felt. But uh, he changed people's lives for the better in many ways, all while being a dick while he did it. So it's pretty complicated. Um, but I think a good example to hold up of like sometimes – Uh, this job creates a lot of like bad behavior because of the way that it's been uh, created over time. That's like another great Kara moment is he spends uh, 200 pages talking about like the daily chores of the hill country women and how like they looked older than women in any other part of the country. They were like literally living in medieval times, like getting well water and like putting their irons in the fire to you know just like terrible hard hard living they like he's like if you talk and because he moved there and did research he's like if you talk to women over here they um are like inches shorter from hunching over carrying water their whole life and so like he made their lives better you know like he like fundamentally got stuff got change for them um but was always kind of doing it for not like he's not like a sunny optimist he did not have like a good view of humanity he was a he was a really power power hungry guy
1: right yeah i was gonna say that like the something else that got brought up is certainly with the first book um with path to power it it seems like what they're setting up is because his dad uh ends up dying penniless he goes well i won't be that and like so much of that informs his uh worldview going forward as like I will always have power. It's I don't even know if it's so much I will always have money because I think if that was the case he would have become like a a type or something. But like instead he's like, no, I will always have power because power will lead the money. Which I think is such an interesting take compared to say the president followed right after him, Richard Nixon, who uh by all accounts, his presidency just seems to be completely based out of spite. Like I think I I I hope I have this right, but I'm pretty sure when he's like in high school, college-ish, like he got rejected from some frat or some social club, yeah. and he was like, "I'll show you fucks, I'm gonna become president." Like the amount of hubris and ego attached to yeah. just like a bunch of guys that don't matter being like, "Nah, we said we said one Homer." uh but there's no more homers in this club like it, it, it's crazy to me that you would take that and be like yeah well fuck you I'm going to become president like
0: I did that <laughs> I my roommates in college all went to go see so I'm on my computer and, okay, so I had been accepted into the Disney College program t- uh, to work in Orlando. And I wasn't going to do it because I heard, t- heard too much about, like, it's just, you know, underpaid, underappreciated labor that's going to put you six months behind on your college degree track. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't seem worth it. But then all my roommates, three of them, just left the house to go see Matrix 2 without me. Matrix reloaded or Revolution, I'm not sure which one. And just that act of them not asking if I wanted to go see Matrix with them, I was like, fuck these guys. And I went to my room, I logged in and I accepted the position to go work at Disney World because I wasn't invited to Matrix too. So I get it. I get it, LBJ. (laughs) I understand how powerful Spite is. Um, Luckily, I didn't have to become president, but.
2: That's amazing. yes i I get it yeah you're you're absolutely right, Nadia. It was a uh, Nixon didn't get accepted into a a club at Whittier College, so he did his own, and also he got accepted to Harvard with a full ride except for room and board, and they still couldn't afford that, and so he could couldn't go to Harvard, right. which is why like the, these two like yes, he and then the fact that then Kennedy beat him and embodied all of the like privilege and inherited like wealth and inherited status that he had grown to a- to hate really like topped off his spite even further yeah um, yeah it's it's pretty crazy yeah i mean it, it 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 is true it's like who wants to be president you know like the type of people who want that level of power should almost like Eliminate them from being able to be considered because to want that kind of power must mean like there's something maybe potentially wrong with you. I don't think every president's been terrible, but it is like power super powerful. Wow. Put that on a t-shirt. It's the best <laughs> quote of all time. Wait, actually, I believe that that someone says that. Yep. Okay. And never been kissed. The assistant says <laughs> power it's powerful fucking t-shirt am i right i probably didn't say fucking um but i think it's important to like look to these people for the lessons we can learn both of like explanation of how people can be distorted by power and um and just that like we've allowed the system to become this this very difficult path to walk with nobility like everybody's hands get dirty when you're playing in mud so like Just seeing that that is how our system is built and has evolved is a little like okay, I'm gonna take some of this stuff with a grain of salt because like we have to change fundamental systems before we blame individuals. Um, Yes,
1: absolutely. It's uh, you make a very good point about the idea that like if you want to be president, you probably shouldn't be. Um, and I think that's true about a lot of specifically career positions, I think th- th- there's just too many things out there where if you if this is your ultimate goal, what does that say about you as a person? But yeah, re- to get there, it's not going to be idealistic.
2: Right, right. And it's like if you ask a young person who wants to get into the arts and their goal is to be famous rather than my goal is to like make stuff I care about and with people I like and do stuff that I'm proud of. It's like, OK, well. If your goal is to be famous, that's going to be a lot different path than your. if your goal is to, like, find success. Now, it's hard to uh, disconnect the fact that if you have a certain level of success, it might mean fame. So that there is a part of you that's going to be rooting for your own fame because you're rooting to be at, like, the top of your field. But I remember, like, hearing people say, like, I just want to be famous. And you're like, well, that's a different goal. You know, like, that's going to yeah. lead to different decision making.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kim Kardashian is famous. Right it's just like you but i think somebody asked her once like a reporter said something like uh oh are you know why do you think you are famous like what do you think is like your talent and she's like i'm famous because i'm famous and it was just like oh yeah she totally understands this connection between like yeah talent doesn't necessarily lead to fame it can and Uh, Success can lead to fame, but talent, fame and success are all completely different things, much like in politics. It's like you could go into politics and become a politician because you have specific ideals and you want things that are from your POV, morally correct for the country. But that's very different from having power. And that's very different from, you know, what it might take to make your idealistic views come true and or getting that power
2: yeah definitely and i mean then you see it too you see like a president like jimmy carter who like he had a higher moral ground but then wasn't effective because part of it and and we do that pendulum thing all the time where we like want an outsider because we're like politics are dirty let's get someone who doesn't know anything and then we like swing back we're like actually you have to know how to get stuff done uh which is like something that we've just done. And even like Obama was, you know, he didn't have that m- much federal experience. And so it's like, okay, we we go back and forth between like deciding if that experience is good or is bad. And we end up holding it against people who do have experience because we assume they've been tainted by this process. And that's not unwarranted. It is like a a, it can be, path that turns people into a worse version of themselves. It doesn't have to be but it's certainly there are tons of examples of uh, times that it does but LBJ might have been um, low key rotten from the jump so it's all it's all, <laughs>
1: it's so, all good. <laughs> so in uh, the second book so Means of Ascent this is yeah. where he goes from his first bid for the US Senate in 41 and then he gets elected so he's kind of like trying his best to get in there and a lot of the book deals with uh, his primary against Kokar Stevenson Um, Um, yes.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, this part's a bummer. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Trigger warning. This part is a bummer.
2: Well, I mean, not to like, (laughs) um, spoilers. I don't know. Um, Coke, Coke Stevenson, you may be like, and especially modern people probably wouldn't agree with his politics necessarily, but he was an incredibly upstanding man. Like, very, very moral, extremely honest, extremely beloved in Texas, just, like, literally a cartoon of what you would think Texans would care about. And, like, LBJ essentially stole the election. Um, Like, everything. Timely. I know. Everything that they're claiming happened, they're like, no, literally, he had, like, books and books and books of, of, of dead people. Or, like, I mean... And there's like tons of evidence and, and it's, uh, it was like a known practice at the time, especially in like Texas politics that you could just like round up migrant workers and like have them. I, and again, I, 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 I hesitate to speak about this in a term that's like, and it still happens because this is like a very specific, uh, um instance in like it's really well researched by Robert Caro and he has like tons of facts to support it there's like a person who went in and literally just like changed the number um but uh so all all is to say is if there is voter fraud we can find out through evidence yeah. uh you can yeah. it's actually a searchable <laughs> knowable thing it's not like will we ever know it's like we will know or not um and yeah so coke stevens that's really sad Because he was just, like, a very good man who Texans loved. And he also had, like, a heartbreaking personal, like, loss of a wife who he was, I mean, it's just, it ends up being, like, it's not a good book for LBJ. You do not walk around, uh, walk away from the second book being, like, oh, yeah, here's my guy. You're, like, this is dirt, this is really, really dirty, dirty, dirty. Like, other people who knew, oh man, I wish I could remember, but he, when he first got to the Senate, he literally had a nickname that was, like, Squeaker or something, because they they knew he had just squeaked in. Right. I don't think it was Squeaker, but it was, like, something like that. It was, like... That's, like,
0: that's too cute.
2: It's too cute, <laughs> you know? But they, it was, like, people knew that he probably got there by crooked means. Like, it was not a... This is what I mean. It was knowable information. They just didn't care. Coke Stevens also didn't care enough. He, like, didn't want to, like, drill down. He kind of wanted to just move on with his life because he was so kind of disheartened by it. He, like, just moved out to a ranch uh, by himself because he was just so, like, put off by it. But then, don't worry, guys, he um, found a later-in-life love, and they had one daughter together, and um, Coke Stevens was, like, a... Uh, obsessed with her um and they had like a really sweet relationship and he like took her all over the country and um they were really close and he had a nice little end to his life. read Um, that
0: book jess honor (laughs) that man
2: uh yeah that's what i mean it was like very known and it was also very known that that was like a big part of texas politics at the time is that you could like buy these rolls of voters um that you could like pay off like Gangsters basically to get you these votes in certain counties in certain districts. One thing that LBJ does have though that's like that also Robert Caro, um, no, not Robert Caro, sorry, Robert Moses and Robert Caro does a good job of like pointing it out in both of them. They both have like absolutely exhaustive work ethics. Um, and when Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson ran for Senate the first time or was running for Congress, he literally had like was like in sepsis for kidney failure and still did, like, nine speeches a day uh, and would just, like, work, work, work. And they both also created, like, a cult of loyalty around them. They had, like, people that would work for them at, like, ridiculous hours, would give them all of their attention. Like, they both were these types of men who could have, like, oh, he's a Moses man. Oh, that's, like, that's one of LBJ's boys. It was, like, very much they had that in common of – building people around them who would work tirelessly for them and some people would work their whole lives for them uh but they would always say like oh they work harder than anybody else so my god we gotta stop
1: this grind culture we gotta go back in time and tell these guys like take a break it's fine yeah yeah
2: uh, I agree.
1: I I, agree. I mean, I, that resonates with me in today's talk. I feel like how many people do we know that will just work tirelessly, you know, when they're sick or beyond and just work themselves down to the bone or work for a specific person down to the bone, which is not something that I necessarily agree is the way we might want to we might want to reconsider how we've been doing. Yeah, it, I, guess, I, I think that's that that's
2: I think. totally fair. I think I definitely over uh, exalt work ethic. I'm like, oh, if someone is a hard worker, it makes me like th- like it holds a lot of weight to me. Um, but yeah, to your point, like if it's to the destruction of other parts of your life,
1: that's not good. Also an incredibly hard worker with a work yes. ethic that I uh, greatly admire. Um. I read this bit where there's this desk in his office that is highly specific, and apparently uh, JFK's personal physician, a specialist in back pain that Carol sought out after he hurt himself playing basketball, went in and said, "Like, let's figure out why your back is hurting so much." And she watched him and she said, "Did you know you sat at your desk for three hours without moving? I've never seen anyone concentrate like you." uh and to me that's amazing because when i'm writing it's like i can i can get into a zone and then at some point my wrist will be like ow stop it no ow my fingies ow i need to stop (sighs) let's stretch and take a break um no matter how hard i'm concentrating but the idea that that guy didn't move he just like sat and read or typed or whatever or wrote on a on a legal pad and and Nothing could break him. I'm like, "Oh, no wonder you you wrote these massive tomes.
2: They are tomes. They are seriously tomes. I think I had to get Master of the Senate as three separate like audiobooks. Like it and they're e- they were each like 50 hours. So, just Master of the Senate I think was like 150 hours or something. I hope that's at all right. But uh, maybe more like 90. Maybe they're each 30 hours. Anyway, they're long. Um, and I think what's great is you could say, like, oh, my gosh, besides Power Broker. And I think he's he also took a break and wrote a book, like, on the writing and research process.
1: Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think uh, it's called Working. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Which I mean, yeah, yeah, the guy loves to work. But what I think <laughs> is great is that, yes, it's he's dedicated his life, a giant chunk of his life to ostensibly one person's story, LBJ. But I think what he really has done is like use that as the vehicle to say so much about our country, about politics, about power, about character, about uh, about work about like what it means to be singularly driven by a goal and what that does to you and the people around you, what you sacrifice. I mean, neither of these men had like good family lives, like uh, God bless Lady Bird and the terrible life that she had, despite being like a very lovely woman who did her best and tried her best to like make the most of it. But she had to like put his clothes out every night with his tie pre-tied and his cigarette lighter in the right pocket and the pen in the right pocket so that he could get dressed in the morning as efficiently as possible. Uh, Like these aren't good. It's not like you read them and go like, man, I'm inspired. I mean, there are (laughs) lessons to glean, but I think like what's cool is like, it's about LBJ, but it's also about like so much more. It, It happens to be the lens. The other thing that's great. I forget that I used to say this is a little quip when I was describing these books to people last year. And I'd be like, when they'd be like, "What's new with you?" And I'd be like, "LBJ, can I tell you all about it?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, very fun for people.
0: Just gotten really into uh, Lyndon B. Johnson lately.
2: I uh, found <laughs> a real kick. Um, I apologize to your listeners. This is they might have to listen to this episode on 1.5. But
0: I um, <laughs> not uh, at all.
2: Um, I. Uh, Okay, so he will also... Oh, wait, here's how I'll also connect it. I really describe his writing... I've described his writing style as the prayer hour, the improv form. Mm-hmm. So LBJ's life is the mono scene that you keep coming back to, but he'll leave for full pedals and tell you about other people, other organizations, other moments. He does the same thing with Robert Moses. So, like, with Coke Stevens you'll you'll you won't even mention l b j he'll like give you this guy's whole biography or he'll give you like uh I didn't know that much about uh Speaker of the House Sam Rayburn he gives you a whole leaf on learning about him as well, and then you come back or like another quippy way I used to put it is if uh they ever made a movie of these books. LBJ, the actor playing him, would only be nominated for Best Supporting Actor Mm. because you leave him so often in the course of the story. He's like the backbone. He's the spine. He's what we're following, but you get to learn about so many other things, and that's pretty – his life spans a very tumultuous and interesting time in history that you end up learning about a lot of these other characters that maybe you wouldn't learn about in just like your regular history class. Um, So I really – that as well.
0: Very similar to, um, you know, The Hills where you've got your Lauren Conrad, the sure. ostensibly the star of the show, but you're also right. learning about your Audrina and your um, Audrina Heidi. Audrina went
2: to my high school. No. It's true.
0: At the same time?
2: Yeah, I think she was two years older than me. Yeah. Audrina. Cool. Audridge. Yep.
1: <laughs>
2: no, no
0: follow-up questions. No follow-up.
2: <laughs> but you're right it's a lot like the hills
1: uh so in master the senate basically he so gets into congress then becomes senate majority leader it's 1167 pages it also covers uh johnson battling to pass a landmark civil rights bill through congress without uh, uh i guess pissing everybody off um particularly because uh uh, spoiler alert: America is racist as fuck. So the Southern bloc was super anti civil rights because racism, and uh, the Northern faction was more supportive of civil rights because a little less racism. Um, so so much of it gets into the Civil Rights Act of 1957, which was the first giant legislation since like the Reconstruction era that helped to address a lot of the uh, how how should I put this? the injustices that had been going on for the last like 60 years or so. So right. um... that
2: that bill itself had very little teeth. But what it did was really important because it began the process of like, no, we need to actively legislate to undo what were what Jim Crow and other things have allowed to happen. So m- he was very good at selling the like, you have to take the victories where you can get them. And yes, we're not going to get everything. I think he even had a quote of like, I know that this is not going to be uh, enough, but if you're starving, you'll take a crumb if you can't get the loaf. Like you'll, you'll take some, like understood that in a way that I think is valuable to remember of like, what that does is it does begin a momentum that we, we need sometimes to have partial solutions before we can get full solutions because like it does demystify that first step. Um but yeah, he would in pub he would in private, you know, with these which which is also crazy to think about. And I, I think about it a lot when, especially like in this last election, when we we're talking about Georgia and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is crazy that Biden's winning, winning Georgia. And then you're like, they say things like and it hasn't happened since Clinton in 92. And I'm like, well, that's not that long ago. Like we think of these these coalitions in these states as so entrenched in their politics, but they really aren't. And like you're saying, the southern bloc, the south used to be incredibly democratic. So uh, like until the right was able to fold in evangelicalism into their base the the democrats were very uh, the south was very firmly democratic but obviously they weren't for racial uh they weren't for like help (laughs) helping ease the racial problems in these in the country so he had to really navigate that and this is like that book talks a lot about how he could speak one way with one group of people and one way with another group of people And he kind of had this thing where he was like, if you don't give them this, they're going to start asking for more, Um, was like what he would tell uh, conservative Democrats in private of like, if we don't say, yes, we can't lynch people, they might start asking to marry your daughters, you know, is like Mm -hmm. truly how he would sell it. And it's disgusting, but you're also like, then it worked. Like he, he he got that done and it was really... That was uh, that position just wasn't powerful until he had it. It was like completely perfunctory, and he he used all kinds of like procedural tricks. He knew how to like, and he would have all of his aides working for him too. Like literally, well, that person's not going to make it if they're in the elevator, so let's vote now. Like he he would have like eyes all over. He was like, it was very Game of Thrones, very like very Lannister, like Tywin Lannister, like not good but like really really good at his job um right yeah and that
1: manipulation that deviousness that like searching out for the weakness and then exploiting it really does help
2: if you are doing it for the greater good. I, it's super, t- I mean, but it's, I mean, that's why it's important to read and understand stuff like this. It, it is, it is complicated. It's not like simple and there aren't necessarily like a ton of good actors all the time. Uh, Caro does talk about like, now do I think he was a racist? Yeah, sometimes, but here's a couple here. And then he'll be like, well, he, he went to a small teacher's college, um, that was, like, barely accredited. So similar to Nixon, he had, like, a chip on his shoulder towards, like, people who came from higher, edu- like, Ivy Leagues or came from a position where they were able to have higher level of schooling than he had. But when he first graduated, he went to go volunteer and became actually the principal at, like, 23 of a small school on a border town. And he did a ton to help the, the children there. They, they basically were, like, he had, like, a very complicated uh history with how he felt about uh people who were less privileged than he was and he definitely liked fighting for people who were the underdog but was he in moments racist yeah definitely like definitely I mean it's also
1: a man of his time and that's like there's there's a lot of people like that there's a lot of people um how do I put this uh You have to think about things in context. That doesn't make them okay. It just means if this is the world in which everybody existed at a specific time and these were the okay things to do and these were the not okay things to do, whatever those may be, there's a reason that some people did the okay, not okay things. Right. Uh, And things change and progress as time moves forward. So I'm not saying cut people slack as much as it is understand and accept context
2: yeah I think that that's what reading stuff like this helps you do is you're like right 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 right, right yeah 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 exactly right, like, oh right, right, right. yeah and also yeah. It, it does lead to a lot of optimism because I'm like oh well yeah we still have so much further to go but this is great that, <laughs> that we aren't we aren't like this anymore. We are like, I don't know, I I am ultimately an optimist. I understand, like, still, I don't want to brush over the reality of the situation. But it when I whenever I read history, I'm like, right, we used to be even worse.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> something that I constantly think about when people are like, the sanctity of the Constitution, so to speak, I'm like, the sanctity of the Constitution, you made a- you literally said, Well, they'll be three fifths, they'll be 60 percent of, of a person. Yeah. What? What the fuck? These are guys that were shitting outside or in a pot <laughs> under their bed, and they made this choice and went, Yeah, 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 that's good. That's a good call. We should keep that forever. No. And again, Again, most of
2: them, most of them saw them as no percent person. They just wanted to be able to get their population to have more representation. So, yes, it's it's, uh, all terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a there's a difference between like honoring certain things that we feel are good or worked or were revolutionary for their time. And then obviously, like you said, understanding the context under which they were made. They were in a hot ass room with no air conditioning, living and sleeping together in tiny little rooms getting drunk every night and they were like let's put it down on a piece of paper we don't need to think of that as like some oracle we got from an all-knowing body that knows the best version of government that's crazy they <laughs> yeah. didn't have ac they were very yeah. hot and yeah. you know what we'll just like introduce uh this you know
0: uh it can be changed so like nobody like what in like 200 plus years people are still going to be looking at this to decide how they should be uh having government in their 20s. 20 uh, reality no way will they worry about what we wrote on this piece of paper i know hilariously, hilariously like clearly, people who are
2: sanctimonious forget that they they also thought w- that would need to be changed <laughs> yeah yeah like, i want to hold true to every single thing in that document <laughs> except for where it clearly says it can be changed <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, the I don't want to say these guys were morons, but there's a, to your point. There's no air conditioning and they're drunk a lot. So, yeah. like, let's take it at what it is in the context of things. You know, and let's some not of them are nece- hot wearing
2: wigs. You know they're yes. headed you know they were lightheaded shorts weren't a thing yet it was all tights they were in waistcoats
0: they were they were hot in wigs and waistcoats at a time when information was impossible to get about anything
1: yeah yeah Yeah, everybody like half the population was like don't eat that tomato it'll kill you
0: there was probably somebody in the room who was like well what are we gonna do about witches (laughs) y'all
2: Yeah. (laughs) What we could do about witchcraft? Still a thing. There certainly was. Certainly was. Yeah. Um.
1: So as far as that part of the book, was there anything else that like really stood out for you? Not just him passing the Civil Rights Act, but sort of leading into Book Four, because Book Four, Passage of Power, goes from fifty-eight to sixty-four, which is really when it's like things are ramping up for LBJ, where it goes from like Senate to VP to then President through. Uh, horrific circumstances
2: yeah I think what's what's I think it really does speak to what he saw as the allure of power because he does try to get the nomination in uh maybe 1960 like really unsuccessfully like back when the primary season wasn't as long and you truly could be at like the still trying to get votes um and then he like acquiesced and, and support and helped move the support to to Kennedy. No, maybe he even tried before. Uh forgive me if I'm like he might have tried in 56. He wanted to be president for sure. I think the reality is uh he and it's still they say, you know, vice president is kind of a thankless job and everyone told him not to go for the vice presidency and he had when he was Senate majority leader, he was probably at some points the most powerful person in the country because he like Eisenhower wasn't as like legislative he wasn't like a legislative type of president he was he was like you know came from a military background was more of like a strong central leader he wasn't really like interested in getting a ton of bills passed so in that sense and because he was the counterparty and could get things passed LBJ you could say at certain points had like potentially more power than Eisenhower um so it was kind of a weird backslide to become VP and then also the um, the Kennedys uh, hated him, especially Bobby Kennedy. Um, Bobby Kennedy and LBJ really, really loathed each other. Um, LBJ was not included in decisions. He was not an active VP to Kennedy at all. Um, he was not listened to in, uh, in and around the, the Bay of Pigs or the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was like very much just like, an afterthought he was used to get Texas and then they kind of like didn't care about him and Kennedy had these like young uh, Ivy League educated very very loyal people around him and who just like thought he literally couldn't make mistakes which is what they think may have led to the Bay of Pigs so like no one thought Kennedy could even have a bad idea and uh, like in his inner circle and uh and Bobby Kennedy worshipped his brother thought he was great and thought lbj sucked and they hated each other <laughs> really intensely so i think it's pretty it was a weird decision to do vp everyone told him kind of not to do it um and it i think it crushed him a little bit to lose that power because for those three years he really was just kind of not doing much um yeah, Caro says that
1: his shoulders slumped, he lost a lot of weight, he was kind of depressed. Uh, it, it, like, his physical demeanor changed. And during his vice presidency, he had been kind of humiliated, I think, for him, especially, as you said, if he's coming from this position where he has all this power to kind of just be shunted to the side and be like, shut up. Yeah. Shut up, LBJ.
2: we, J- we- <laughs> J.K. <laughs> was a little kinder about it, but he still didn't include him. Uh, right. Bobby Kennedy was, like, outright, like, they their hatred t- towards each other was like full fully apparent. There was no like it was not coy. It was just like we hate each other, um, pretty openly. Uh, um, which was yeah. I don't know. It was pretty fascinating to to hear about um the the grudge that that those two men have for each other.
1: Yeah, the uh, Kennedys called him Uncle Cornpone. Yeah, they were like Uncle corn pone and his little pork chop is what they would call him and lady
2: bird yeah not nice not nice they were like he's our old he's like this old dumb hick you know he was so so different from them and caro's like yeah for sure but also that missed the opportunity to use him as this like could have you know the vice but the vice president is the president of the senate i think that was part of what his rationale was is like let me make that a an, an more active role but they never really gave him the chance and, and they're like that was maybe a mistake because it was literally like he knew it so well he knew, he knew who and when would be in some of the bathrooms and would wait and brush his teeth multiple times to happen to encounter people he like knew when you would be getting your coat because then he would try to catch you just to get one quick word he also was an incredibly physically domineering man he would like grab people lapel of their jackets he would like get in their face he was really big he does have like a fluctuating weight um and and he had like giant hands and giant ears and like a giant face and would just kind of get in people's face and demand things of them um so yeah the vice presidency was a real backslide for him and he was like not well respected at all
1: uh so here's the thing with uh with masters senate and into um a uh, passage of power which would be the last one uh caro's thing is he really wants to show how power really works like the the quote raw naked reality of political power because we live in a democracy so basically power at the end comes from us from the votes we cast the ballot box but the more we know about how political power really works the better theoretically at least and it will help inform how better our democracy could be do you feel like he's able do you feel like by the end by the time you get through passage of power you go okay Now I really understand how LBJ became president and not just through the happenstance of JFK's assassination, but like, let's assume JFK had served, I don't know, to a longer term and had served to like 1968. Do we feel like uh, JFK would have just been like, yes, now I am primed. I am ready to go. We are going to be president. I'm going to be president. I'm going to make this happen. Like, do you feel like you get the sense from reading Caro's biographies that that power is all that he was seeking so therefore it would have happened regardless
2: well he also was obsessed with his mortality and he didn't live that much longer after his presidency he had like bad health in in his he had like several hospitalizations for exhaustions for kidney issues for uh he was like he could get really sick pretty easily and his his father died in his 60s so he always thought he was going to die in his 60s of uh, a heart issue so he also in addition to this chip on his shoulder of like not wanting to die in poverty like his dad did he was like i need to be great and i need to be great fast because i'm not gonna live long and he was basically right so i because he was also had a extreme pettiness about him I don't know that he could have recovered from the humiliation of being VP. And I also don't know that he would have been physically able to do it. What I think may have happened is if JFK had a longer term and if LBJ could kind of humble himself to make an honest pitch for how he could be used more effectively rather than sort of like digging in his heels and hating that he wasn't being respected. And he made a true pitch for let me help you get stuff through the senate like please like help let me use my expertise to help you if those men had been able to come together on that especially sharing goals that they had for uh helping the poor which is like something that lbj took very seriously um i think there's a world where he maybe could have found his sea legs again and found uh because basically if he wasn't winning he was like a real he he lost a lot of that thing that like the the years he spent just like taking naps when he was a congressman. If he didn't feel like he could get something done, he would lose momentum and he would get petty, he would get depressed, he would get down. Uh, I relate. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So he wasn't like this nonstop, like you you did have to get him, he had to be on the quest, he had to be in the hunt. So I don't know. It would have depended on if he and JFK could have connected over uh, legislative goals. I think if they could, then there is a chance that he could have run as his true successor after maybe JFK serves two terms, uh, assuming he was healthy enough. Like, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but I'm not sure what year he died, but it's like not long. I think it's
1: 73.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he could make it through one term. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I think that that really informs it. Um, And, uh, yeah, I don't know, probably not. He probably would have regretted taking VP for the rest of his life and died uh, miserably sad, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Did die miserably sad, actually, because he only ran, he only had one term and it was uh, marred by his lying about Vietnam and his dealing of Vietnam. So I don't think... I don't think I'm headed for a happy ending anyway. Mm. Uh, But um, he did get to be. I think forever his best moments will be like passing the first civil rights bill in 1957, um, the year of leadership that he had, 63 to 60, like of 1964. And then obviously. There are like the voting, uh, the Civil Rights Act of '65, the Great Society. There are all, all the other things that he did, but I think the fact that they're coupled with Vietnam completely tarnishes his legacy. Um, so we don't really—it's not like we think of him as one of our great presidents.
1: Yeah. Um, so. uh, Caro has said in interviews because the fifth book is forthcoming, as we talked about. It's he's he announced that he was starting it like in end of in 2010 or something. Yeah, to- yeah, yeah, 2010, something like that. I was like. Oh, wow, this has been going on a minute. Um, Yeah, yeah, he's going to talk about Medicare, Medicaid, voting rights, the fact that Johnson privately is like, we are not going to win this war, and yet he still kept sending kids to Vietnam. Uh, Carol also says, like, in a way, you will see all the sides of Lyndon Johnson's secrecy, his penchant for secrecy and deceit, and his legislative genius. And he has this genius for turning or transmuting. He said, I just wrote this for transmuting compassion into law a lot of politicians have liberal desires and very few know how to turn that into laws so it's actually to be honest with you sort of thrilling well i don't say i'm writing it thrilling i don't say writing it well but it to be thrilling is what he says like can't how, how, be, how... <laughs> Carol? i can't wait I how, it... how much are you looking forward to this next volume that will like help complete the story because you know as we said he he's There's not that much life left but there's a lot that happens in that life in this next book which would
2: round it out round out the five i mean yeah hugely excited i feel like it is it is i do need to hear how he feels like it all comes together um and i think no years of his life really really embody his dichotomy of good and evil like his actual presidency because you what you see more in his other parts of his life is depending on how much power he had or how much he could get done. Sometimes it could bring out the best in him. And sometimes while he was like in pursuit of more power, it would bring out the worst in him. So you, you kind of more go through like a roller coaster of understanding him. But I feel like those four years, it's like you get both of them at full throttle. Like you get what he could do. Also, Caro posits that he became more and more of like a legitimate, uh, compassionate person especially on issues of race and poverty well i think he was always compassionate about poverty and i think he started as he moved on to see how intertwined they were and how you couldn't really uh you couldn't really talk about one without the other and how he needed to take that on in addition where i think he tried to live for a long time like well can i just talk about like like the poverty aspect of it um so i think he did i did i do think he legitimately grew out of um I think he took off some layers of his racism as he moved on but he will always be a deceitful secretive power hungry petty man right. um so that's yeah. what
0: makes him a fat that's what makes a fascinating character i guess like
2: and i'll is- say i see a lot more when you read the power broker you're like okay <laughs> that's a bad guy um like uh robert moses was like extremely power hungry and punitive and racist in a much like more outward calculating way, and truly like wanted his name to be on everything, and kind of only became worse, you know. Like start, he's a real tragic story of like started with some ideals and, and wanted to be like a a progressive, and then you just see it like d- disappear as he as he goes on. LBJ very Selena a- Meyer, very Veep. <laughs> Very Veep. So Veep these days, you know? Um, And I think LBJ is a little bit more complicated where you see him get worse in some areas and get better in others as time goes on. Um, But I, so I I walk away with like, oh man, complicated. Whereas I walked away from Power Broker like, man, that guy really destroyed a lot. And really, as he built, he also tore down and he didn't, he like really helped entrench some of the worst things about, uh keep making it impossible for people to break out of like poverty and get access to resources. And was really, really, really power hungry. Oh, cool. What a cool dude. (laughs) What a cool, what a cool cool. dude. (laughs) My friend, my friend who originally told me I would like these books sent me, there was like some little article that was circulating about now that everyone like calls into news shows from their own, like home libraries on Zoom to talk on news shows as talking heads or whatever. There was like some short article about how often the Power Broker is on people's bookshelves. Oh, it's like, it's like the book of like, oh, you're kind of into politics. Oh, you should read the Power Broker. It's forever long, <laughs> and it's like I feel like it's a rite of passage of someone who's like, okay, yeah, I like reading big history books. I'll read the Power Broker. Yeah, it feels like
1: it's that and the um, the the oh god, I cannot remember the name. It's like about. It's it's those giant tomes about Roman civilization. I think oh, it's true. like the history of the world part one or something like that. And then there's a few others that fall in that same category where I was a, I was a history major in college. And I'm like, oh, boy, that's a long book. And yeah. just, I'm used to being able to tear through that stuff to then write a paper about it. And I'm just like, oh, boy. Were
0: well, those days thousands are
1: pages? I know. And that's why I listen to them now. Um Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Caro's working style, he says, I found this thing that I thought was really interesting. He said, my first three or four drafts are handwritten on legal pads. And then for later drafts, he uses a typewriter. Uh, He said, people don't believe this about me, but I'm a very fast writer, but I want to write slowly. Do you guys feel like that's maybe what's taking him so long is the fact that he's handwriting like a 1,000 pages worth of information and gathering all these facts and turning them into something that is not just uh,
2: digestible, but like an engaging, beautiful read. Here's what I'll say. He doesn't have to turn off his Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't have to do a thing where he's like, you know what? What if I closed all the windows? Maybe I would get more done. (laughs) Apparently, he doesn't have an email.
1: Wow. So says the Guardian in this interview with him where he. uh, Yeah, apparently he he doesn't have he he hates to be interrupted during the working day. So he turns off the phone. He doesn't have email, Uh, even if he goes somewhere else, as writers are wont to do, like apparently he was at the New York Public Library once and he was tapped on the shoulder by somebody, at which point he was about to punch him. (laughs) Like he drew back his fist robbie robert bobby you gotta shot
2: <laughs> a little bit my guy you gotta chill work People. ethic but just just cool it you ever done a face mask um <laughs> that's hilarious Ugh. Oh, wow oh yeah that i mean I wonder how much of that was already in him or how much like ruminating on these people who worked incessantly has like now inspired the same, like the part becomes the whole A little bit of like, he spends so much time talking about how, they worked they hired drivers so they could work in their car they had like a phone in every room they had like you know all the all these things to make sure they could work as much as possible and how much some of that starts to just even subconsciously make you go like well i guess that is the only way to get things done is to uh, basically kill yourself <laughs> 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 to do t- 12 stump speeches while your kidney is failing
1: Yeah, I mean, he's an obsessive guy, right? You talked about the fact that he went to Hill Country. He also took LBJ's brother back to the family ranch and then heard about, like, you know, tons of family stories that way. He interviewed uh, Lady Bird and couldn't meet her in the eye because she talked to him about LBJ's affair with a woman named Alice Glass. Like... This guy is putting himself in these like incredibly specific positions. He
2: writes really beautifully about Lady Bird. I, it's it's a a compelling aspect of the book. Um, books. Um, but yeah, (laughs) it's just like, man, literally every guy in power cheated on their wives back then. It was just like so freaking standard that no one even talked about it. It's just back then. (laughs) <laughs> i know i i mean probably but it is just like yeah they all they literally all had affairs and everyone was like well you know what are you gonna do you're like oh my god it's so sad we were very accepting
1: of things for a while we were just like yep if he leaves for cigarettes that's it that's uh it. if if he cheats on you well what you gonna do this is that and now i don't i don't know that we're so accepting of that i'd yeah. like to think not i'd like to think not Um, there's this one quote that uh, I have heard before. And then I, I made the connection when I was doing the research. I was like, Oh, that was Robert Caro. Um, he says, we're all taught, uh, saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. But the more time I spend looking into power, the less I feel that is always true. What I do feel is invariably correct. What power always does is reveal power reveals and, that has stuck with me. Do you feel like that is what he's doing in these books? And do you even think that that's a true statement,
2: you guys? I think that that is what he's doing in these books. I mean, like he tells like an anecdote about Lyndon Johnson one once got like admonished in class or maybe they maybe it was smaller than that. Maybe they were all taking role by writing their names on the board. And he, it was one of those classrooms that had like, you know, two blackboards on the whole side of the wall. And he wrote his name across all of it. Um, they also said that he literally was the type of boy who, if he lost, would take his ball and go home. Like, oh my God! So that like says those, so much. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I do think he's right that it reveals, and that the more and more it reveals, the more that like you maybe can't undo that, which is what we now see as it corrupting. But I do think that yeah, it it. I think any circumstance can bring out any part that's already in us right and if you are seeking out power you're going to keep revealing the parts of yourself that are power hungry or desire power or know how to wield power and what you do with power um yeah with both of them robert moses as well he like can point to things from very very early on that kind of set the stage for you know i don't think anybody's like the the die is cast when you're born and you are who you are I, i i believe in like change and, and uh nurture but like some of that's there <laughs> and if you keep feeding it then that part's gonna grow, like <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: I I I think a lot of LBJ fascination specifically. Like, there's some presidents that people are like, "Who?" and then there are some presidents that everybody goes, "Oh, well, that guy's great," you know. I don't know that any presidents 100% good because humans are fallible. But like, there's the pantheon of these guys did pretty good for this job, and then there's I'll call them the mixed bags because they may have really helped one person or one side of things, but they were a total dick uh or they really screwed over one part of society while really helping another part and who's to say who's right here uh the- also,
2: also i think the power of that position has really grown and so there's like tons of forgettable presidents where like they really were maybe more of a figurehead or like they didn't take on the power that they could have yield like wielded because it was just like that's just not how it worked back then like and People didn't even live in D.C. They had to like come in by like and just stay for one week at a time and be like, okay, what are we talking about? Like it used to move so much slower. And so I think like that there's tons of presidents who who the heck even knows because they weren't faced with real issues that they were solving in like the pace that we solve them in the 20th century on. So, I mean, like, uh i'll say if anyone i'll say if anyone listening to this is like wow i want to know more about presidents i'm not ready to dive into uh listening to hundreds of hours on lbj specifically although i would encourage you the robert carroll books are great there is also a really great narrator and he sounds great on 1.2 um i i listened to the washington post did uh four years ago a, a podcast called presidential and every episode is a president. And instead of it being like an overview, it kind of, the host Lillian Cunningham picks an aspect to kind of dive in on. Uh, and so it's, and they're all like an hour long or shorter. And it's kind of nice to just get something that you now could know about each president and maybe something that you don't already know from just like the base facts that you would get through schooling. But one thing I always took away is like James Garfield maybe would have been our first progressive president, but he was assassinated. Like, but we, we just don't know, like he was assassinated. So then we just, we never knew what he could do. Or like maybe certain presidents just weren't faced with crisis. And so we never saw what they would be like. Um,
1: yeah, I think of I'm like, what did Millard Fillmore do? Right. No idea. No, no idea. idea. No idea. The, I don't know what the, I, I'm sure he did something with a tariff. Or or some tax. I don't know. He he probably made somebody's life shittier. But it's just, yeah, the LBJ specifically, I think, um, according to Carol, kind of sits in this awkward era where humans were supposed to either be good or bad, and there's nothing in between. So the fact that this guy does uh, some amazing things while also doing some truly horrible things, and the fact that, you know, like you said, maybe he got more compassion later in life, but was generally fairly dickish for most of his life. Yes. Uh, Especially, apparently, as a young child. Writing your entire name is such a power move across the the whole board. Think of the confidence. I
2: don't think that this man ever stopped being a dick. Now, I think (laughs) that certain parts of him softened, and I think he was able to connect maybe some areas of policy goals he always had with a greater understanding of the uh, pain and struggle that people were having but he never stopped being a dick. I mean, he would he was like not a in just like the base level human interactions, he in, he was insulting, he was combative, he was bossy, he was disrespectful. He also had like no manners. You know, he would like chew with his mouth open and yell at people. He like he just he was always a dick. But I think some parts of him got a little better over time while other parts stayed terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's when I say I guess that's the best he could do. I kind of mean that sincerely, given the fact that his childhood was so rough, given all the all the ways in which he was formed in those early years, I go, you could have been better. But also, you know, people are who they are. So what are you going to do about it?
2: Yeah, it's I think it's he's a president worth studying because he reveals a lot about uh about complexity Um, yeah he would uh, say uh, there's ones that it totally makes sense to forget i don't think we should forget about lbj because i think there's a lot to learn from him good and bad
1: yeah there's a there's a quote apparently that Kara found that lbj said about himself which is i'm just like a fox i can see the jugular in any man and go for it which is horrifying do foxes
0: do that Do foxes go for the the jugular? On on creatures bigger than them?
2: That's a great point. You know what?
0: That's the worst thing I've ever heard about LBJ.
2: Also, oh, I, might, I forgot about this. He did the same thing as Nixon. There was a secret club at his college that he didn't make it into, so he invented another one, <laughs> and then he made that new one a like political force, and in, in like in put their finger on the scale of elections, and then he like became class president through like stealing votes and nominating like and and adding sophomores when you weren't allowed to add so like doing like Man. truly low level crazy stuff, but. Like and, this in college.
1: Is, and this is how we got Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg didn't get into one of those Harvard social clubs. So you know, I'm thinking, uh, here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. No more clubs. No more clubs. No more clubs. People take it way too hard. They, too they make it about them. They they get in their heads. They get spiteful. They run for president or they Absolutely. start things that then become evil entities. Oh, no more clubs.
0: Spite is spite gets the job done. Like, <laughs> say what you will about how bad it is to like have like that bad energy on your mind. But nothing gets the nothing gets you president quite like spite.
1: Jessica Kenneth, thank you so much for coming on. Why do you know that?
2: oh me what what a great this was like a time machine back to 2019 when this is all i could talk about and i think anybody (laughs) desires a time machine back to 2019 in these days so i really appreciate the opportunity and um yeah check out those books of course uh
1: is there anything that you'd like to plug at this time that's maybe more of your work versus just caro's uh
2: robert caro's um please check out my future novelization of nadia's musical uncle (laughs) uh yeah listen off book um uh, we we've been uh continuing episodes in quarantine and we've had um uh quite a journey of trying out many different audio um things online so that we could get rid of the delay so come check it out um and uh, yeah that's it it's a great one with former uh, friend of the... Oh, not former Former friend, friend former of, the pod. of the pod. Don't
0: tell oh him. God. Don't oh tell him God. it's a former oh friend. My Don't former, gosh. tell
1: him. Former guest slash friend of the pod, Zachary. Do you uh, call him Uncle Cornpone in secret? <laughs> <laughs> we will now. <laughs>
2: That's a good place to, oh, where can people find you online? Oh yeah. Oh, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Jess, Jess McKenna. I don't recommend a Twitter follow. My Twitter feed has, uh, no activity pretty much. So, you know, I'm kind of over it. So don't, don't even worry about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah.
0: Just don't tweet. Yeah like uh, Jess is uh, Jess isn't just saying don't find her on Twitter she's saying delete your Twitter too
1: hey everybody thanks for listening if you like what you heard tell everyone you know every way you know how remember to subscribe rate and review and be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes if you missed them we talked about some weird stuff and be sure to follow us on Instagram at why do you know that pod or on Twitter at why do you know pod they're different and if you've got questions comments concerns whatever be sure to email us at why do you know that pod at gmail.com let's do this again sometime